0: Good evening. United States warns China not to interfere on behalf of Russia in Ukraine. The fate of a U.S. basketball player arrested for pot possession at a Moscow airport. A missile from India goes awry in Pakistan. And Julian Assange loses his appeal as a proud boy is busted. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, March 14th, 2022. The United States warned China after intense talks today not to help Moscow in its invasion of Ukraine. A United States official says China had signaled willingness to provide aid to Russia as National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met with China's top diplomat Yang Jiechi in Rome. State Department spokesperson Ned Price.
1: The National Security Advisor uh, and our delegation uh, raised directly and very clearly our concerns about the PRC's support to Russia in the wake of the invasion uh, and the implications that uh, any such support uh, would have for the PRC's relationship, not only with us, uh, but for its relationships around the world. That includes our allies and partners in Europe uh, and in the Indo-Pacific. You know, we've heard statements from the PRC that have somewhat of an ambivalent message. There's nothing complicated about this. This is a country, one individual at the top of that country, violating in a brazen manner what have been the cardinal rules of the international order for the past uh, 70 years, that big countries cannot bully small countries.
0: And that was Ned Price of the State Department earlier today. Meanwhile, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, met with the foreign minister of Qatar to discuss the Iran nuclear talks now underway in Vienna. Lavrov spoke afterwards. He says Russia was serious about peace talks with Ukraine's leadership.
2: We've always talked about my meeting with Ukraine's uh, foreign minister, um, Kuleba, within the diplomatic forum uh, in uh, Turkey and uh, in Italy. We've discussed how much attention is being paid by Russian representatives to find a solution to the humanitarian uh, crisis and to get to evacuate uh, civilians from dangerous territories where the fighting is on.
0: Um,
2: And we're paying attention to the emergency delivery of um, aid from Russia to the citizens and to the areas in Ukraine.
0: And that was the foreign minister of Russia, Sergey Lavrov. Meanwhile, WBAI is in contact in Kyiv with freelance reporter Maria Pesenko, who says the situation in Ukraine's capital is tense, with explosions marking the time of day.
3: Still the same situation, but today we had these two strikes in the morning, again at 5 o'clock a.m., which is kind of some mysterious time. One missile fell on the residential building in Obolon area, it is solely residential area. And the other rocket fell onto the building in Kuruniska area, which is really very close to the central areas of Kiev. So kind of we didn't have these strikes for a while in Kiev and now again we continue.
0: The attacks today are part of some escalation. Do you see that kind of thing from your perspective happening?
3: This uh, long military Russian convoy heading from the north to Kiev has been partially destroyed by Ukrainian army, and now it's trying to disperse and to go not like in one long line of convoy, but trying to encircle city from the north. But Kiev is uh, actually a very huge city. It's not as easy to encircle it because we have two banks of Dnipro River so the right and the left we have bridges we have a good air defense system which covers the whole city so this is why no success for them for 19 days already and we clearly see that they are trying to get closer to the city center these strikes are getting closer but so far This column is not existing in the way of big military convoy, which is threatening Kyiv from the north. There are more dispersed groups of Russian troops in the north, also from the south, but not like
0: putting Kyiv in circle under siege. Is the Russian government still trying to win militarily, even if they're having difficulty?
3: Nobody believes in any negotiations with Russia and now it's largely quoted. All the negotiations or deals with Russia uh, are not worth even the paper these deals were um, put on. We also noticed the um, connection between the days of negotiations and the strikes on Kyiv. When there are no negotiations, there are no strikes in Kyiv. As soon as negotiations start, we hear the rockets and military strikes on Kiev and closer to the city center. So, kind of, you know, Russian. Still not ready to hold these real negotiations. They are just faking this process and continuing the
0: shelling. Is it possible to leave Kiev? You still
3: can leave Kiev. There are a lot of evacuation trains going every day, or the Ukrainian railway company announces a number of trains, and a number is not even a dozen. It's several dozens in different directions to Lviv, to Romanian border, to Uzhgorod. Even we have evacuation trains from Kiev going there up there to Warsaw. Everybody understands that every coming day makes this evacuation even more risky.
0: Your plans. Are you planning to stay yeah, or are you going to leave?
3: I'm planning Yeah, I'm planning to stay. Uh, I'm volunteering, I'm doing what I can do. I'm volunteering with a fighter's help center, answering calls, coordinating fighters and volunteers, doing whatever I can. And my personal plan is not to leave my city, my country. The only question for me is what should I do with my family? Because this is a question of concern for me, but for me, the plan is to stay and to help whatever I can do for the of my country and helping the Army, helping the volunteers who help the Army. So that's the plan for now, and I hope to the victory.
0: And that is Maria Pisanko, freelance reporter, reporting from Kyiv exclusively for WBAI. And WNBA superstar Brittany Gruney, Grenier was taken into custody by the Russian police on February 17th, a week before that country's invasion of Ukraine. She's been out of sight for a month. The six foot nine inch center for the Phoenix Mercury is the highest profile athlete in the game. She's a 31-year-old Texas native and two-time Olympic gold medalist who has led the Phoenix Mercury to multiple championships. She was arrested at the airport for allegedly carrying significant amounts of a narcotic substance. Initial reports described it as traces of cannabis oil in her luggage. That's worth five to ten years in a Russian jail. She also identifies as queer. That's not any more popular in culturally conservative Russia. Grenier has been denied consular access. Even her whereabouts day to day are a mystery. Today, her representative, Sheila Jackson Lee, said Grenier may become a pawn in the war of words between the United States and Russia.
4: So we want to be delicate because of her circumstances, but at the same time, Reverend, I think it is important that the United States stay ever present as a sovereign nation to protect their citizens. She should know. Uh, that the Moscow embassy, the council officers are going to be intimately engaged uh, with the Russians as the legal process proceeds. The difficulty with the legal process is that it is within Russia's legal process and the outrageous sentencing and conditions that prisoners are in are are really not even comprehensible in the United States. It is mysterious why uh, someone who uh, is as renowned as she is, who has given joy to the Russian people, uh, was uh, all of a sudden targeted to uh, have her items exposed and searched for the first first place. Secondarily, she has not shied away from who she is, and I'm proud of her for not doing so. And that's why I say that this will be a combination of legal, but it will also be necessary, I believe, to continue to have a presence as the United States government.
0: And that was Sheila Jackson Lee. in, uh, in an aside, a not directly related story, but some idea of the situation in the world when it comes to drug laws, the uh, head of the Russian Federation at the 65th session, the delegation of the Russian Federation at the 65th session of the United Nations Commission on Narcotics Drugs is Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs Oleg Stolomatov. He gave a speech about narcotics and Russia's attitude towards narcotics. Uh, They referred to drug control conventions that have been uh, signed by most of the countries in the world and constitute the... uh, the Foundation for International Legal Cooperation in uh, prosecuting drug trafficking throughout the world. He said that, uh, in particular, legalization of free distribution of cannabis in such countries as the United States of America and Canada is a matter of serious concern for us. It is worrisome that several member states of the European Union are currently considering violating their drug control obligations. Such approach is unacceptable. The United States, many states in the United States and Canada itself have uh, legalized up to certain amounts of possession of uh, marijuana and other cannabis products. And the United Kingdom Supreme Court today denied Julian Assange's appeal application in his ongoing extradition case. The UK's top court refused to consider a lower court's decision to rely on assurances from the United States, ruling that the issue is not an arguable point of law. WBAI's Rebecca Miles has the story.
2: The UK Supreme Court decision not to grant the appeal request means the assurances given by the United States that they would not place Assange under special administrative measures if he was extradited to the US can now not get a proper hearing about the validity of such assurances. Within them are loopholes stating that if Assange violated prison rules, he could be placed under SAMS. These measures severely limit communication with family and lawyers and the general prison population. A UK Supreme Court spokesman said Assange's application did not raise an arguable point of law. According to Assange's lawyers... The refusal to allow the permission to appeal against extradition now returns the case to the Westminster Magistrate Court, which could be limited to referring the decision for extradition to the Home Secretary, Priti Patel. The Home Secretary decides whether to order or refuse extradition to the United States, and the Defence is able to make submissions within the following four weeks in advance of her making any decision. His lawyers have also left open whether they would mount a further appeal to the High Court over the other points that were not ruled on in the extradition request, namely that the overall request is political. A lower court ruling in January 2021 denied extradition because of Assange's mental health concerns and declared the U.S. could not safely care for him. The WikiLeaks founder is wanted in the U.S. over the publication of classified files in 20. 2010 and 2011. Those files revealed how the US military had killed hundreds of civilians in unreported incidents during the war in Afghanistan, while leaked Iraqi war files showed 66,000 civilians had been killed and prisoners tortured by Iraqi forces. Among them was the collateral murder video which was leaked by Chelsea Manning to Assange and showed footage from an army Apache helicopter shooting 11 civilians, among them two Reuters cameramen, a war crime that has been covered up by the U.S. military. Amnesty International said the decision today was a blow to Julian and a blow to Justice and added, quote, the Supreme Court has missed an opportunity to clarify the U.S. acceptance of deeply flawed diplomatic assurances against torture. Such assurances are inherently unreliable and leave people at risk of severe abuse upon extradition and other transfer. If extradited to the United States, Assange, who's currently held in Belmarsh Prison, faces a 17-count indictment, 175 years in prison, even though he is not a U.S. citizen and WikiLeaks is not a U.S.-based publication. If found guilty, it would effectively criminalize investigative work of all journalists and publishers anywhere in the world. Rebecca Miles, WBAI Pacifica Radio, New York.
0: Thank you, Rebecca. And to underline the dangers in a nuclear armed world of conflict between nuclear armed states on Friday, the disturbing news that India has acknowledged that one of its missiles had mistakenly been fired into Pakistan two days earlier. Pakistan criticized India's callousness and ineptitude in a nuclear environment and that so far has been the end of the matter, a subdued aftermath that many saw as nothing short of a small miracle. The two nuclear-armed countries have fought bloody wars at least four times since the 1940s. Pakistan's defense ministry had this to say.
5: A high-speed flying object was picked up inside Indian territory. By Air Defense Operations Center of Pakistan Air Force. From its initial course, the object suddenly maneuvered towards Pakistani territory and violated Pakistan's airspace, ultimately falling near Mia Channum at 1850 yards, that is 6.50 p.m. And when it fell, it also damaged some civilian property. Thankfully, no loss or injury to to human life was caused. Pakistan Air Force continuously monitored the complete flight path of the flying object from its point of origin near Sirsa in India till its point of impact near Miachanu. And Pakistan Air Force initiated requisite tactical actions in accordance with the SOPs. It is important to highlight that flight path of this object endangered many international and domestic passenger flights both in Indian and Pakistani airspace as well as human life and property on ground.
0: And that was a spokesperson for Pakistan's defense ministry speaking about the missile that went awry from India crashing into its longtime adversary, Pakistan. Both countries are nuclear armed. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The former national chair of the extremist group, the Proud Boys, Henry Enrique Torrio, was charged with conspiracy and other charges in connection with the deadly attack on the United States Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Federal prosecutors named the Miami native in a superseding indictment returned today in the District of Columbia that also includes five previously charged defendants. His arrest early in the morning was caught on camera. Heidi Byrick of the Southern Poverty Law Center says there's a... Strong connection between the Trump administration, the administration of former President Donald Trump, and the Proud Boys. And she we discussed it. She discussed it with WBAI earlier today.
6: Tario took over the Proud Boys a couple years ago after the founder quit because he was connected to some violence that broke out in the streets of Manhattan. Then there was a leader in there, a man named Jason Van Dyke, who's a neo Nazi for a couple days. And then Tario became the leader of the entire Proud Boys. Um And so he's been in that position for a while. He also had the lead position on this Council of Elders thing that they have, many of whose members have now been arrested for what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. So he's been the leader of the group for a while. He's interestingly an Afro-Cuban who lives in Miami. And even so, there's incredible amounts of evidence of him making racist comments online, belittling members of the LGBT community. I know people don't usually think of someone with that background being group w- involved with a group that has so much white supremacy in it. But indeed, here we are. And the other thing about Tario is he himself has been involved in violent actions The reason he uh, was not in Washington, D.C. on January 6th is because he was arrested on December 12th or 13th for destroying Black Lives Matter uh, banners at two black churches in Washington, D.C., and he was banned from the district. So he's got other criminal issues going on. He'd actually been jailed for quite a few months over those activities in a criminal case, released, and of course now he's been arrested again.
0: What's a connection between uh, Trump and these people, as ideologically as well as possibly, you know, materially? I know he did at one point say, "Stand back and stand by," famously about the Proud Boys.
6: Yes, Trump definitely said that about the Proud Boys, and the ties between certain Proud Boys, including Tario, to the Trump world, I think, are a lot deeper than people realize. First of all, Tario was the state leader for Florida of a group called Latinos for Trump that was involved in organizing the speeches before the Capitol was invaded, right, on January 6th. He also, along with other Proud Boys, provided security numerous times and interacted numerous times with Roger Stone. who was a one-time sort of on and off Trump advisor, also from South Florida, who Trump pardoned as he was making his way out of office. So those links are there between a really scary, violent white supremacist group and people who are very, very close to Trump. I think in some ways this connection, this link between the Trump people and people like the Proud Boys is what we're starting to realize now about the insurrection is it wasn't just a bunch of random MAGA supporters and some hate groups that invaded the Capitol. There looks to be a lot more going on behind the scenes between the Trump orbit and
0: these extremist groups. What about the connections between these people through people like Roger Stone and Roger Stone's uh, partner, the former Trump campaign manager, who was pardoned by Trump after he went to prison for, you know, basically espionage on behalf of Russia and Putin and Russia and their Ukraine and this whole thing?
6: Well, I think we're going to have to wait and see what's either disclosed by the January 6th Select Committee who is there investigating all of these connections you mentioned, or what happens with these cases, to know more. But we do know that Tario was with the head of the Oath Keepers, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, somebody from Latinos for Trump, a lawyer for the Oath Keepers on January 5th, and I just think we're scratching the surface at this point to find out how deep those connections then go to other people. We know there are connections to Roger Stone. Are there connections to additional people in the Trump orbit? Are there connections directly to Trump himself? I don't think it's any mistake that in the September 29th, 2020 debate, that it was the Proud Boys that Trump signaled out. There could have been a million other organizations out there to criticize because he was being asked to denounce white supremacists. And this was the one that stuck in his head. So you just have to wonder how much more more connections there
0: are. Heidi Beirich of the Southern Poverty Law Center. The indictment alleges that Tarrio continued to direct and encourage the Proud Boys prior to and during the events of January, January 6, 2021, and that he claimed credit for what had happened on social media and in an encrypted chat room during and after the attack. That's according to a Justice Department statement. And here in New York, police are trying to catch a killer, also in Washington, D.C., because it seems to have happened in both places. That killer has slain at least two and possibly three homeless men on the streets of both downtown Manhattan and Washington, D.C. over the past two weeks. The suspect has also wounded at least three other homeless men who survived. In New York City, two homeless men were shot, one fatally, while they slept on the street in the early morning hours of Saturday, March 12th. Commissioner Keech Sewell of the New York Police Department and Chief Robert of the Metropolitan Police Department in D.C. announced that the several shootings in the two cities were committed by the same suspect. The two departments are teaming up on the investigation along with the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. Surveillance video of the incident at 148 Lafayette Street at Howard Street in Soho shows the shooter kicking the man a few times to check if he was awake, looking around to see if anyone was watching, and then blasting the helpless victim point blank. Area witnesses reported hearing shots around 6 a.m. Yesterday, homeless activists gathered to speak out about the dangerous conditions on the street. Housing Works Executive Director Charles King.
7: The cause is violence with a gun. But I want to be clear, that is not the only violence that homeless people experience. It is violence against homeless people when communities target, attack, and demonize homeless people because they don't want a shelter or housing for homeless people in their neighborhood. It is violence against homeless people when people on the subway are given a choice of a summons or going to a mass congregate shelter. It is violence against homeless people to force people into congregate shelters where they have no privacy, no dignity, and none of the services that they need. It is violence against homeless people when we force them out of our public spaces without giving them a decent safe, secure
8: place to stay.
0: Another activist, The Homeless Hero, had this to say.
8: It speaks to our level of humanity when we allow tens of thousands of human beings to be without a home. The subways, they are dangerous places for us to dwell in, yet they are safer than those congregate death tracks. The streets are dangerous places for us to dwell in. Yet they are safer than those congregate I death ties. We have a right to shelter. We want to keep that. But I want to see a right to housing. That's right. It's I want to see a right to housing. Housing is a it's right. Housing. housing is a human, human right. right. I've experienced homelessness since the age of 10. I spent countless years on the streets, in subways, and unsafe dwellings. As a child, there was was constant danger, and I learned how to survive. But to this day, I suffer from the horrors of my personal experience in those streets and shelters. They haunt me.
0: The homeless hero. Mayor Eric Adams and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser spoke about the shocking killings, afterwards issuing a joint statement in which they guaranteed his capture. They said the work to get this individual off our streets before he hurts or murders another individual is urgent. The rise in gun violence has shaken all of us, and it's particularly horrible to know that someone is out there deliberately doing harm to an already vulnerable population. And that's some of the news for Monday, March 14th, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineers, Rachel Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.